welcome to Simplifying DevOps, a podcast sponsored by CDW. I'm your host, Rachel Leary. This series is dedicated to breaking down the concepts and methodologies of DevOps, as well as the world known as digital transformation. We're looking to cut through the noise and break down barriers of learning for individuals who may not be developers or engineers. All right, welcome back to Simplifying DevOps. This is Rachel Airy and Mitch Krombach, and we have with us today Viet Pham, who's a uh, senior field solutions architect with CDW with our, our DevOps practice. Hey, Viet. Hi, how are you guys doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. So, Viet, I mean, we, we've had you on before on our last episode, but I think it might make sense and kind of lead us into, um, you know, today's topic as well as just give us a little bit of your background, how it is that you came to CDW and talk to us a little bit about some of your past career. Yeah, no. Um, so with me, I like, I think like uh, Rachel had mentioned, I, I'm a field solution architect here at CDW. Been here, I think it's uh, four years now, right? I think Mitch, you and I started around the same time. So it's, we're close to getting up on our fourth. Yep. Um, but prior to that, I actually worked for a medical device company on the uh, research and development side as a product owner um, in that, you know, we had a we at the organization, we kind of were a traditional waterfall design with a monolithic application. Um, and as during my tenure there, tenure there around, it was about eight years, um, we actually transformed from a waterfall to an agile method development process, uh, software development process. And so it was kind of interesting um, going through that transition, making those changes. You know, there was a very intermarry intermediary period where you know we were kind of hybrid so we were doing like six month sprints which is not really a great it's a really big sprint still uh but we were kind of getting faster and faster as we kind of got more experience um and towards the end of my tenure there we kind of moved the application from a traditional on-prem client server design into an actual SaaS offering that was leveraging aws so a lot of that we actually had to implement a lot of devops practices do a lot of automation work a lot with our operations team so that they could get you know the infrastructure in place ready to go and um, be able to help us with deployments as we scale for customers' needs. So it was definitely an interesting experience that I had there before coming to CDW. Yeah, cool, Viet. And I think Rachel and I have gone down this road of talking about tools and processes. And the one thing we haven't talked about is the people of process or people of DevOps, excuse me. Um, And I think you're the perfect person because you were a part of that transformation that an organization had to go through. And you were one of those people. And I think we also sort of forget that what what we're trying to accomplish in the IT organization is bringing value to the business. And you're the one on the business side that's going to the IT organization and working with them to make that happen. Can, yeah. can, you, can you talk about that sort of being the front line of DevOps, being a product owner? Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting because a product owner, a lot of it is you're seeing the vision of the product, what it needs to be um, and how it needs to meet the customer's needs, right? So you, you definitely have that insight on the business side of and that understanding that this is something that's going to help customers uh, really help 
to help us meet our customers' needs and be success and make them be successful, uh, which is usually the number one priority in most organizations. Um, with that, a lot of times the product owner works with all the different teams to make sure that, you know, are we addressing the right capabilities? Are we addressing the right features? Um, and they're kind of the ones that are helping to identify a lot of those and then also finding the challenges and how do we get around those challenges as we move forward to meet the customer's demands. Um, usually the product owner will work with a team lead um a variety of actual team leads and each of those team leads have you know they have the skill sets uh to then develop uh, you know delegate some of those capabilities amongst their developed the different development teams of you're going to do the work on this feature you're going to work on that feature you're going to work on this subset of features um you know as they're kind of figuring out the sprints and the stories and stuff like that um so that's kind of a big thing that comes in on the dev side uh, one of the things that was kind of nice too is uh, as we kind of started making this journey, we actually had to do the cloud architecting as well. Um, so we actually had a cloud architect, which kind of was a really nice little bridge between the two teams, right? Because I think, you know, as the cloud architect was looking at how we deliver this on AWS as a SaaS offering for the technology, um, they needed to work on with the operations and security teams to say, okay, what do we need to make sure is in place to protect our data, especially because we were working with a lot of highly confidential um, pharmaceutical information, right? So a lot of these companies that they were making drugs, um, you know, like pharmaceutical drugs uh, for various uh, illnesses and stuff. And they didn't want this information to spread out because that's always a risk of somebody else stealing that data, right? So there need to be a lot of security and governance in place. Um, so it actually forced a lot of our thinking to make sure that do we have all the safeguards in place as we're doing the development uh, to make sure we're protecting customer data. Because um, again, you know, a lot of these, these are small, a lot of times they're startups or small pharmaceutical companies are taking advantage of the platform as a SaaS offering. Um, and we needed to make sure we had those cautions in place and those, those kind of guardrails to protect that data at all costs for the customer. So to reiterate then, you've pretty much got the owner of the product um, or you know, product owner who's really concerned about end user experience, right? Like making sure that the end user has the experience that they want, that the product addresses the needs and questions or, or feedback that they have. They're looking at, at ensuring that that meets those SLAs and, and whatever indicators the, the end user is looking for. You've got the developer who's looking at increasing speed, um, you know, maximizing innovation, looking at how they're actually going to achieve the, the code behind the story and behind that curtain in order to accomplish that. And the team lead within that group is delegating tasks, starting to figure out some of the, the action items beneath those overall main goals that the product owner has set. And then you've got the cloud architect who's got maybe one foot in operations and one in development in order to figure out how you can operationalize that and ensure that you've got safeguards, governance, and all the performance metrics that you might need in order to achieve it. Yeah, yeah, and, and that, and then what happened was, I think, as we started to grow further and get uh, a little bit deeper into uh, developing this, you know, automation becomes a court kind of a key role in it and automation plays a big part in DevOps, right? So we actually had then started building up a, a small DevOps team with DevOps engineers to help with some of those automation capabilities. Um, so that when we got from, uh, you know, from delivery, we could get straight to deployment, um, you know, in as short amount of time as possible. 
And, you know, I think just as I was exiting, we were starting to look at, um, I think the organization was starting to look at, starting to get metrics behind it so that we could then figure out how do we recover faster and how do we then meet those challenges. And then that's where I think as organizations, when we started seeing it, um, including ours, we started looking and crunching those numbers, you started getting to site reliability and then site reliability engineers get involved in that situation because now they're trying to say, okay, how do we minimize the downtime and how do we build strategies and capabilities so that those down, that downtime is as little as possible for your customers. So break down the key differences you would say between a site reliability engineer and SRE and maybe a traditional cloud architect that's going to sit at uh, you know some organization and assist the client. Yeah, so a lot of times the, the cloud, we'll start with the cloud architect because they're kind of that that higher level view, right? So their goal is definitely to kind of look in, look at the organization, look at the challenges, what are they trying to solve? How are they trying to solve it? And then they're trying to architect it to kind of make the most efficient system possible, right? Uh, a lot of times, you know, they'll get involved also with some of the nitty gritty of saying, okay, we, we think these tools are going to be best and these kind of paths of, uh, deployment, development are going to be the most successful to lead to the, these capabilities. Uh, but then they don't get into like um, necessarily doing the engineering part of it, right? That's where kind of your DevOps engineers come in. They're, they're the experts that are going to be involved with um, understanding tools like Terraform or Ansible or Chef or Puppet, any of those kind of configuration management tools, um, as well as provisioning tools. And, and they use those type of automation tools just to help uh, really accelerate those capabilities, right? Uh, and that's kind of usually what the DevOps engineer is uh, uh, their strong focus in. Uh, they then afterwards they tend to expand beyond that in helping also other parts of the organization, um, you know, with the developers helping to streamline their processes and, and smooth that out. Uh, you know, usually the development teams they'll have their own kind of automation steps. Uh, when it comes down to it, but we'll, we'll, we can come back to that a little bit. Uh, and then when we come to the site reliability engineer, um, a lot of what they're focused on is stability, right? Making sure that the, pro the technology or the products that are being released are running as stable as possible with the highest amount of uptime, um, even in high load situations. Um, so usually they're, they're focused on, okay, do we have all the processes in place? Um, like you think, do the do, has the DevOps engineers and have, have they created automation tools in place that if something fails, we can spin this up in no time flat to then recover from any crashes or anything that happens, right? Or have we, um, you know, do we have the high availability needed, the load balancing needed for this to be successful? And have we implemented the right tools to make sure that, you know, we're hitting that scalability that we need and that, that high availability that we need to ensure, you know, whatever, you know, some, it might be 99.99% uptime, right? You think, you know, what, what Azure and some of the clouds, they try to focus on that, that three, nine uptime. Um, how, how can we get there? Do we have everything in place to meet those challenges? Yeah, Viet, you, you touched on this idea uh, that you went through a transformation, right? From monolith to microservice or something, you know, closer to a microservice. It, was that the biggest change going from as a product owner, just relaying those business uh, needs to those team leads to starting to talk to people on the operation side? Because that's one of the things we, we've touched on is dev and ops is literally reaching across and talking to other folks on the other side. Was that the biggest change or was there something? No, I think, you know, oddly going from monolith to microservices was not the biggest change that led to that. It was really moving from kind of that traditional 
monolith, uh, I guess the waterfall uh, software development life cycle to an agile life cycle, because once we kind of got it down uh, to a system, we were kind of getting down to like a, a three to four week cycle um, in our agile process. And so you're starting to introduce a lot of features faster um, and it's starting to help understand uh, the, the operations team you know, helping the operations team understand some of those challenges, right? Because if it's going to take the operations team six months or, you know, like six months to a year to test and then, or to make sure that they can figure out a deployment window, by that time, those features might have become pointless, right? Like, you know, the, the market might have moved on from those features and they're not needed. And so the need to be able to introduce features at a timely manner, once we've, de- once we've kind of developed the teams already created them and tested them, um, was so core that it actually led to some more strong cross communications across the teams to ensure that we can deliver and deploy those features as needed for customers at the right time. Interesting, Viet, so like as a product owner, how did that impact your job? Was there was there like more risk that comes into it because you don't know where the end goal is, or or how did that impact you? Well, it, you know, it was it was kind of interesting because it became a iterative iterative process, right? I think we it, it changed the design versus like when you were when you look at a traditional monolithic application, you're actually looking at what does what are what are all the features that are needed for this? Because once we deliver this, it's going to be hard to make a change, right? Versus kind of going to a, what's a minimal viable product? Like what are the core features that are necessary for customers to at least get data, get information and be able to do what they need to do to be successful? And how can we add these extra features later on down the line? Um, and I think that that was a big thing that is kind of important to that. Um, so as a product owner, there was a aspect initially as you're trying to define kind of that minimal viable product or MVP, um, you know, like what is the core features that are needed and, and how, how do we make sure that we get those in? Um, but then afterwards it was like, okay, now we go through and we start defining a priority list. Um, as you're kind of going through each sprint, you have a priority list. You're like, okay, this is priority one, two, three, four, five. Here's what can fit in the sprint. Let's take care of it. Um, and then, you know, we, we hit that sprint. We, go through the story, we deliver that specific sprint, and then we go, we just move the next features up. So it becomes a ever evolving list um, that, that you know, becomes much easier to manage. Um, I think one of the things that's also really nice too is uh, once you get to the point, that point, a lot of times, you know, sometimes bugs will show up or uh, we always call them um, unique features. You know, we joke about it instead of bugs. Um, in that situation, if they were are critical or there's, there's security issues, you can then kind of elevate that that importance and bring it up in the list for the next sprint to be taken care of, right? So it has more flexibility versus I think when we were looking at the monolithic side, uh, we would do like, let's say a, a one year or two year engagement to do a patch, just do a patch, um, you know? And it would be like, okay, we've locked in the patches, we've locked in what needs to be in there and there's zero deviation. You, you've locked that file in of, of what needs to be in it. And even if something comes up, we're like, that's gonna have to wait till the next patch, which could be a year and a half down the line. And that's sometimes the challenges when you face with a monolithic design. And so with that, that was kind of the, the difference that occurred when, you, when I was a product owner from moving to a more agile type process. From a, a team makeup perspective, how else did things change? I mean, was was there always a product owner before? You know, it sounds like there was when y'all were um, in more of a monolithic perspective. I mean, what 
what maybe new members or roles did y'all bring in and did y'all you know kind of change the function of of someone that was existing on a group yeah on the development side i mean you as you get into agile you know there, there's always the scrum scrum leaders and stuff that you add into it your, your traditional kind of uh roles that you add to kind of get into the agile process um you know those get a little bit deeper you know I, i'd recommend you know if you're gonna, if we want to go down that path, we definitely should do something else. Just talking it, because otherwise it can be down a rabbit hole very quick. Uh, but yeah, well, one of the things though that's nice about it is, I think as we kind of added those and we kind of did that design, there was kind of that daily update, kind of daily standups to kind of get an idea of an awareness of how the team's doing and where they're sitting and and progress wise. Um, and in that, the one of the unique things was we'd always bring an operations member into that conversation as well, so that they. Could understand where we're standing right where, where the developments occurring and what's happening and they have that visibility so they're like hey we're ready we're, we got to be ready for this to come down the pipeline here's some of the changes we got to think about and they can then relay that to the operations team to say here's how we're shifting and that's kind of how we started kind of building out um you know kind of the initial parts of the devops kind of uh workflow uh you know, at the company and, uh, you know, just before I left and, you know, I, I didn't, I, when I left though, it wasn't fully integrated yet, but we were starting to build some of the foundational pieces there. Makes sense. So uh, since we've got an insider, um, you know, when we learn and, and talked about, and when I first started to learn about the, the concepts around DevOps and aligning um, collaboration across teams, I would hear a lot about strife and opposing values or opposing kind of KPIs that would make, you know, the development team considered good at their job and the operations team considered good at their job. And those are, are pretty opposing. Can you tell me maybe about um, some examples of that frustration or where that might make some rub from a culture perspective? Yeah, you know, and it's, yeah, I want to, I definitely want to start this at, because each team has their own kind of unique challenges, we have to understand the nuances of this, right? I mean, like, especially the development teams, their goal is to kind of hit code, kind of design and create, you know, some of the features and some of the some of the products that, you know, has been defined by the organization uh, that the customer, that they feel like the customer needs. And so a lot of times they just want to sit there and focus on, you know, doing coding, right? Like they're, they're, not, they're not thinking about anything else. They're not, uh, worried about that. They're just heads down coding. Anything that gets in my way of coding is kind of a, um, it, it's a distraction um, is really what it is, right? And and so you'll, you'll think about like a lot of them tend to be, you know, not not a lot of them I know, you know, were introverted. They, they were very quiet, um, you know, but they were amazing coders, right? And that, which was really awesome. They did their job really well. Um, and, but my job when I came down to it as a product owner was to kind of be that liaison, you know, kind of be that social butterfly that kind of got to know the organization, got to know the teams. And um, I was very good at like incurring favors and building favors and, you know, trading in favors for this and that. And, and it was ways to get things done uh, that sometimes wouldn't get done because, you know, somebody didn't know how to relay the right convert message or like somebody was just kind of struggling on their own. So that was kind of always the challenges they faced. But a lot of times when we talk about development side, um, it always came down to, there were three factors, uh, was uh, time, right, budget, and scope right? Do you hit scope? 
and do you hit it on so and, and in the past it used to be this do i hit uh it was the, the it's traditional triangle with the three vertices and you could only pick two out of three right i could do time and and scope uh, but it's going to cost me a lot of money and i can do scope and time but the products you know the the um, you know the other piece is going to be affected but as we kind of move towards devops and being able to continually iterate the technology um, it kind of shrunk that triangle and made it more feasible to kind of hit all three all the time because we were constantly updating it um, and so it kind of got rid of that kpi which is kind of nice um, of because um, our project managers i would always remember you know they would be like well we can hit we can hit the scope but we need more time or you know with this amount of time we can't hit these scopes i remember when i'd go to the product managers they'd be okay well we're going to have to change this specific requirement to a desired not a required requirement and that was like well you know it's just a, a manipulation of semantics and anybody's that a product manager will know that that that's so true you know um, it's, it's a big challenge always trying to make sure you hit the scope to fit the time frame that's needed um, either that or you're doing a whole bunch of overtime to get to it and it's going to cost the company a lot of money to get there um you know now when we get on the operations side that's a little bit uh unique right because their focus is uptime Right? How, how are we getting up? How are we making sure we're getting the most amount of uptime as possible? Um, that's why you see patches occur, you know, weekends, uh, late at night, you know, because you're not affecting business during those hours most times, right? Um, updates, you know, or you're they're saying, okay, we, we got to fully vet and test these uh, deliveries um, of the new features just to make sure that we're not going to have a crash in the system by deploying it. Because if we have a crash, every minute down is a lot of money that that organization is losing for having that that system down. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it's uptime. A lot of it is uh, making sure that, hey, how, how much time does it take for us to recover? How much time does it take for us to solve problems as, as we see failures? You know, so they're they're building out a lot of redundancies in place. Um, and a lot of times where we saw the challenge between the two was um, operations would have a standard um, configuration they would use and development would do their own thing, right? And, and the problem is a lot of that you would do as a kind of, um, the developers would just do it just because it was instinctual. So it was second nature to them. Like I need this, I need this, uh, specific package for to test this and then they'd forget about it they wouldn't record it they wouldn't put it down they'd forget about it and that doesn't translate over to develop to production and production scrambling try to figure out where things went wrong and why it's not working and then you know you'd spend a day you'd spend like hours or a day in like you know um, alert mode trying to figure it out and then suddenly developers oh yeah i forgot I, I have this package you need this package to install and then it'll all run and lo and behold it works just fine um and devops does a lot of it i mean it helps to kind of standardize some of the environments so that you have that you don't have that parity um and you have the consistency across the organization as you're doing development and testing to eliminate that that makes sense i mean i nobody wants to get that 2 a.m phone call and get yelled yeah. at by your boss <laughs> that you didn't do something right. And I mean, if, if development hasn't traditionally needed, I say needed to care, but hasn't hasn't lived in the world where disaster recovery is something that they have to plan for and think about, then you don't necessarily look over to that or, or you know have to worry about that consideration. So that makes sense. You know, when we were talking about the Iron Triangle, I had that in college and they called it, um, you can get good sleep, good grades or a social life, pick two. Yeah. That's when I learned about it was- Exactly. Was <laughs> it's always a struggle. So tell me a little bit about, it sounded like you said product manager and project manager a second ago when you were walking through. What's what's the difference between the two? 
Yeah, so let's start with product manager and product owner because those get to tend to get intermingled a lot. Uh, so the product manager, right, is uh, their focus is to be the voice of the customer. Uh, that, that tends to be the very common definition of it. They're the voice of the customers. They're going to do research with customers. They're, they're talking to customers all the time. They're doing market research to understand customers' requirements. You know, um, let's talk for a car. We'll just use a car as a generic example. A product manager is gonna go and say, okay, well, we need a car. It's gonna have um, a heads up display or it's gotta have this nice interface where my where their iPhone can hook into it or the Android uh, phone can hook into it. Um, you know, they have to have surround speakers, you know, they have to have all these kind of features, right? That that so their their goal is to understand the customer and then translate those so that the development team understands what's uh, what needs to be done. Um, the product owner, however, is understanding the most critical features and getting those taken care of first and making sure you prioritize what's needed. Um, a lot of organizations will actually meld those two um, kind of positions together. Um, and a lot of times it will either be a product owner slash product manager. Uh, and there are some organizations that keep them very separate, right? Because they want the product manager to be de totally dedicated to just understanding the voice of the customer and not be involved in development at all uh, versus the product owner is really much closer to the development side and translating what the product managers kind of defined to help the development team do what they need to do. Um, so then what happens is you have a project manager at that point uh, and the project manager kind of oversees the whole project, making sure that, you know, all the swim lanes are working at the same speed, you know, they're gonna all hit um, on time you know, as we joke, on time, in scope, and in budget, right? So they're kind of working with all the team leads, and they're working with uh, sometimes the architects or the operations teams to say, okay, um, if we deliver this, do like as a hard, let's talk hardware. Do we have all the um, the key key production facilities in place? Do we have all the templates so that they can create the tires or the doors or things like that? Um, you know, like for example, they might go. They might work in software back in the old days when things still came on CDs and DVDs, right? Do we have, you know, the the printers in place so that we can then, you know, press the CDs and then, you know, they can then print them out and they can package it so then we have it distributed across the world. So they'll work with the operations teams in that situation to, to deliver the hard copy of the software. Um, and so... The project manager, the project manager slash owner is really, they kind of do that and they kind of help coordinate the entire team to make sure that everybody is on track and doing what they need to do. Yeah, this is so interesting to me, Via, because I feel like when you hear DevOps, all you're thinking is IT organization and there's all these other folks that are included in getting whatever product it is to market, right? Yep. And getting into the hands of the customer, getting the feedback, getting that feedback back into the app, right? It's just a continual cycle of making that better. To, to, to linger, go back to where we sort of started and you talked about this transformation, this journey, was it top-down led in terms of uh, the buy-in and who was implementing the changes or was it more grass, grassroots? And uh, do you think one is better than the other? For ours, um, I think it was a little bit of both, uh, just because I think when when we decide to deliver our traditional client server design into a SaaS offering, right, 
it kind of forced us to take on some new capabilities that we hadn't had before, you know, again, you know, automation in place, uh, you know, cloud architecting that we never had to do before because we were traditional on-prem design, right? We, we would stand up the old way was we would stand up a server and put satellite clients all over the labs and those would feed the data back. And, and it was very different once we got into a client server environment or got to a SaaS, SaaS environment, I'm sorry. Um, and that kind of led us to having to adopt some of these capabilities. So there was a top-down aspect in that we realized that we had a lot of customers we could meet the uh, meet uh, kind of the struggles they face by creating the SaaS uh, strategy. And so you know they kind of said, okay, we're going to be redeveloping the software, offering it as a SaaS offering, and moving from there. Um, and so that was a big thing uh, that was definitely top-down led. But from the bottom up, we also saw that well we're not going to be successful with this if we don't add these capabilities, right? And so kind of the operations teams added, you know, DevOps engineers to help with some of the automation. Um, development team added a cloud architect to help, the, you know, even the development teams understand, okay, as we kind of start transforming this application to be deployed in the cloud, what do we need to take into account? Of? What do we need to consider to make sure that A, we're minimizing costs, but T, we're get, B, we're getting the most efficiency out of the, um, infrastructure that's in the cloud as much as possible. So it's kind of a mixed mode, um, you know, and, and I think that's kind of the big thing too is um, a lot of organizations that I talk to, sometimes they kind of get into this, get into their heads where it has to be one or the other. It, it helps when it's both ways because then you're kind of seeing the whole organization buy into the concept, right? Um, one team sees success from the other and the other side sees success from this and they start meeting in the middle and they go, oh, this is tremendous. Um, so it is nice to have it from both sides, I, I would say. Uh, but then I also see some organizations, what they do is they go, you know what, it, it's the hot topic. So they spin up, you know, they hire one DevOps engineer and they build a DevOps team. And the problem is they silo that DevOps team, right? They limit what their capabilities are or what they can do. Um, and it's counterproductive to really the essence of DevOps, which is building efficiency. And if you think really to the bare bones of what DevOps is, it's just it's adding efficiency to a process. Um, you can think of Lean Sigma 6, the Toyota way, any of those things that kind of really add efficiency. That's all DevOps is doing. It's helping to build efficiency within an organization so they can move faster to kind of meet the challenges. And at the end of the day, what you're trying, those challenges you're trying to meet is to meet your customers' demands and make sure you're, you're, you're making sure that you meet those customers' demands so that you can have a leg up on the competition. It's interesting you say that and talk about organizations that create, and we see that, and I'm sure sometimes that works for a lot of organizations when they create a dedicated DevOps team, but I think sometimes some of the pitfalls can fall into is when you concentrate maybe too much on the, the how or the what and less on the why, and if you lose sight of the why, then you might lose sight of what it is you've created that team with a purpose to achieve, like what that team is looking to achieve and accomplish. Yeah, yeah and, and Rachel, I think that's an important point too, because I know, I think when we initially started our process, our operations team um, was very, um, you know, they, they were focused on, and, and they were just focused on their KPIs of keeping things up and running. And, and they forget, sometimes they forget that the whole aspect at the end of the day is the organizations to, there to, to help meet their customers' demands, right? Um, and I think as we got our operations teams closer to development teams and having that conversation, understanding the day-to-day -day process and, you know, 
being involved in kind of the the daily standups they started kind of it started clicking to them they're like oh yeah that's right we're here more than just to keep these servers up and running and patched we're here to make sure that these applications are available and they're here to make sure the customer gets what they need so that we can continue to grow our company and be successful so to follow up on that then I've asked you this question before, but I love asking it because I think it gets a different answer every time, just from general people. And I always find it a really fascinating topic to dive into, which is, does every organization need to be super DevOpsy? Does everyone need to be a Netflix or an Uber? Pick your example of some provider who's doing all of the coolest things and is in all of the books. Is that a grayscale? Yeah, it's, you know, it definitely is gray. There's no, it's not black and white. Um, you know, it, it's, Kind of like I, you know, I joke with the ITSM or ITIL, right? Um, when, when we talk about like, let's say ITIL, right? At a level five, that level of security, the level of, of kind of high availability, load balancing, and design of a of a level five ITIL is really for organizations like in the DoD, the NSA, and, and stuff like that. And, and that's not necessary for every single organization that's out there. And I think DevOps is kind of the same way, right? There are benefits to it, you know, no doubt, like if you go to a self-service model, you're actually at some point accelerating um, an organization's capabilities to then really deliver uh, resources to your development teams at their need so that they can be successful at, at continuing to innovate. Um, but not everybody needs to be there at every single time, right? Because there's some organizations that, again, will need certain things like um, certain approvals and certain, um, you know, I need to okay this before we can deliver it. We need to make sure budgets are right before we can deliver this. And so there's that aspect where uh, certain processes that are just necessary for compliance purposes. Um, maybe they're under FDA regulation, maybe they're under HIPAA, maybe they're under PCI, right? Um, th that you need to pause and you don't need to go to a full fledged level five DevOps with self-service and everything's automated and nobody needs to touch anything um, with auto approvals, right? You don't need, not every organization needs to be there. Sometimes the biggest thing is just making that initial step. Um, you know, getting out of your own way, um, as, uh, you know, a lot of people say, uh, my favorite thing I would always tell the organization, uh, cause when I kind of came in initially, uh, from the field into the product owner role was everybody would always tell me, but Viet, this is how we've always done it. And I'd always yell at them. I go, you guys know what traditions are meant to be broken, right? Traditions are a wonderful thing to define our culture, but they're meant to be broken if we can make it better. Right. Um, because a lot of times people hide in their traditions and they, they, they use themselves as, they use traditions as an excuse to not uh, evolve and advance to really change an organization, make it a better organization. And that can be a very dangerous thing at times. And a lot of times DevOps will help them with that. Even as simple as just starting automation, you know? Yeah, maybe if you're, you're walking today, you don't necessarily need a speed racer, but maybe it's good to get a scooter. Yep. That, that topic and exactly. go just a little bit faster if that's what you need to do that makes sense i would love to have you on and i think mitch would agree on maybe walking through some some ways to identify where to start or uh, who needs a speed racer or what use case might want a speed racer and who might want a scooter um and how to start to identify you know how gray should that scale be for you versus someone else it'd be really interesting to have a conversation around that yeah, definitely. Be more than willing to. <laughs> Absolutely. You're a great guest to have. So Viet, thank you so much for your time and, and we really appreciate it. Yep. No, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, this is Rachel Larry and Mitch Kronbach signing off with this week's episode.
Thanks for listening with us here at Simplifying DevOps. We hope you tune in for more episodes as we continue to dive down this path of all things DevOps and understand more about the paradigm shift that we've seen revolutionize the IT world.